This is the word of the Lord. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Good job. That's, that's my kid. I like that. That's good. Uh, Good morning, church family. It's good to see you. If you're new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are, as a church, just getting started on the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus, his um, perhaps most famous collection of teachings from his earthly life and ministry. And last week, we had kind of an introduction just about the kingdom of God, that Jesus came on a mission to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, that God is ruling and reigning. He has put Jesus in charge of this kingdom, and we are being invited into this kingdom that cannot be shaken. Though earthly kings and kingdoms come and go, uh, his kingdom will never pass away. And so today, we're going to actually officially start the sermon, and I I just want to share with you a, a quick quote that I came across. The quote was not particularly applicable to today's sermon, but it's just a very good reminder for us as we dive into this whole entire teaching. And so this is from a, a Bible scholar named Leon Morris, and he says this. He says, the teaching in this sermon certainly sets a high standard. So I just want you to be forewarned over these next few months, we are going to hear a, a high calling from Jesus in his kingdom. If we take this teaching seriously, we realize that we cannot attain it and therefore cannot merit salvation. It is the end of the way of law and drives us to seek salvation in Christ. So if you're trying to just live out the Sermon on the Mount in order to earn God's love, favor, his salvation, give up now and abandon hope and throw yourselves on the mercies of Christ for they are great. But once we have received this salvation as God's free gift, the sermon shows us how we should live in the service of our gracious God. It shows us what life is like in the kingdom of God. The sermon removes all complacency. The follower of Christ cannot say, I have done all I should. I am the complete servant of God. No matter how far we have gone along the Christian road, the sermon tells us that there is more ahead of us. So whether you've been following Jesus for five minutes or five decades, we all need his grace and we all need him to teach us and shape us how to live as citizens of the kingdom. Amen? Amen? We've got got a, a long journey ahead of us in this life of discipleship. And so as we dive into this passage, I would love to just pray and invite you to pray with me if you would. Lord, we give this time to you. I pray that you would open our hearts and our ears to receive this, this kingdom call, this portrait of the blessed life that Jesus, you offer to us. God, I ask and I pray that you would guard my lips and my speech. I would only teach that which is in line with the truth of your word. And Lord, would you help us to have eyes to see Jesus, the King. And you would give us hearts to enter into this kingdom, not just today, but every hour of every day. 
We pray all of these things in the name of our crucified and risen Savior, Jesus. And everyone said, amen. So this word beatitudes, it, it comes from the Latin beatus for blessed, okay? So it's, I know beatitudes is one of those kind of religious, churchy-sounding words. Actually, blessed is one of those kind of religious, churchy-sounding words as well. But the blessed life, Jesus here is setting up his kingdom manifesto, and he wants to tell you, I got a good life for you. How, how do you get in on a good life? How, what, what does a good life look like? What does the blessed life look like? You think about politicians or public figures, they often will stand up and they'll say, if you vote for me, here's what life could look like under my rule and reign. Although they don't say rule and reign because we're in a representative democracy. Go look it up. But they say things like that, right? Here's a, here's a portrait of the good life under my leadership. Or, sadly, more and more politicians, it seems like they don't actually paint a picture of the good life. They just tell you how awful your life is right now and why you should vote for them and they'll make all your wildest dreams come true. Jesus is doing a, a, a less skeezy version of that here, Okay. He's saying, here's what it looks like to live a blessed life. Now, that word blessed, if you've been around for a while, you've heard me tease and make fun of the social media hashtag blessed type of lifestyle. You go on Instagram, you go on Facebook, and people post all sorts of pictures with the hashtag blessed. So because apparently I'm a glutton for punishment, I went on Instagram this week, and I typed in the search feature, hashtag blessed. 135 million hits came up. I'm not joking. That was the number it said. So on my screen, the top, I could see 11 things. I don't know if the, the algorithm has me figured out what. I could see 11 things. 10 of them were like Bible verses or church-related posts with the hashtag blessed. Nice. The one of those 11 that was not was a picture of some flowers, and everything was written in Sanskrit, and I couldn't make it out. I have no idea what it said, but it looked nice. So then I started to scroll down, and that's when I saw what I was looking for. Hashtag blessed. Photos of fitness models, men and women, with their rippling muscles and their perfectly toned abs. Hashtag blessed. So a lot of moms with their kids. Good job, moms. Hashtag blessed with those kids. A lot of couples on dates. You guys know what I'm talking about? I found my special someone. Haven't enjoyed this night out. Couples on dates. And a lot of posts of food, too. Just... <laughs> food and drinks. I'm so hashtag blessed. There's just a picture of just a cake. Hashtag blessed. I'm like, you made a cake. Share it with me so I could be hashtag blessed. Uh, People posting up how many followers they had with the hashtag blessed. So blessed to reach 10,000 followers. People dunking on their haters, you know, just these haters can't get me. Just don't, it's, I'm trying to sound younger than I am. Okay. They're, 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 they're dissing their haters. I don't know. That's blessed somehow. Uh, A lot of hiking photos, beach selfies, drinks, food. There was a guy who was a drummer. He was just drumming. He's like, I'm hashtag blessed. I'm like, brother, you are, because drummers are essential workers in this world. Uh, There was a picture of a gun, hashtag blessed. There was a dude holding a pink ukulele, hashtag blessed. And like an older, not that nice Ford excursion, hashtag blessed. I'm like, hey, to each their own. All throughout this, though, it's a portrait of, I've got this good life. I've got this good life. You know, the word blessed has been used not just in, in, in Bible writings, but even in the ancient world, Plato and, and, or even go back to like Homer would write about living the blessed life. And the word in Greek, the, the word makarios can be translated as fortunate 
or prosperous. Sometimes it can even just be translated simply as happy, right? Happy. Happy is the one who X, Y, or Z. There's a, there's a blessedness. There's a happiness. I would even say uh, the good life. The good life or the pursuit of happiness, right? In our United States of America, our founding documents, we said the, the, the pursuit of happiness. That this nation exists to help people pursue the good life. Now, is there anything wrong with wanting a good life? Is there anything wrong with wanting to have happiness and, and peace and joy? No, absolutely not. But the problem enters in of what version of the good life are we buying into? So the big idea for today and the big idea really of the whole Sermon on the Mount is simply this. The truly blessed life is only found in King Jesus and his kingdom. That all other substitutes are a pale imitation. They're a shadow. They're, they fall short. And Jesus is offering us a vision of the blessed life that will actually satisfy. So we're going to talk about four things. We're going to talk about how this blessed life is it's, it's upside down, it's inside out, it's backwards from the world's portrait of the blessed life. We're going to talk about how do we get in on this blessed life, this good life. We're going to talk about what what does this blessed life do to us? What does it produce in our lives? And then lastly, we're going to talk about the promises of this blessed life. So let's start with this, the upside down blessed life. Matthew 5, 1, he he sees the crowds, he goes up on the mountain, he sits down, his disciples come to him and he starts saying, okay, this is my picture of the good life. Here's what my kingdom's going to look like. People who have a good life, they're poor. The good life is for people who are mourning and they're just crying all the time. The good life and and happy are the the humble, the meek, some of your translations might say. Blessed are those who who are hungry and thirsty, like kind of this feeling of dissatisfaction in some ways. Blessed are those who are merciful, you know, those who are quick to forgive. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who step into situations of injustice or wrongdoing or fighting and help, help sort things out. And, and you know, you're happy. The, the happy are those who get persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted. That's a good life when you have people just opposing you. And... So think about this for a moment. The Instagram hashtag blessed life that I just told you about a minute ago, it's 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 rich. People are taking pictures in front of nice cars or in nice vacation spots, but Jesus said the blessed life is poor. Or people are posting hashtag blessed photos of all their food and their drinks and their nights out and their dates, and and Jesus said, yeah, blessed are those who are hungry and who are thirsty. The Instagram blessed life is those who are are, putting others down and and, and dissing others, and yet Jesus is saying, yeah, that's the merciful. That's That's the good life. So I put together, with my wife's help, the Beatitudes of Instagram. So here we go. Blessed are those who think like rich people, for they won't ever be dependent on others. Blessed are those who are always smiling in their selfies, for they won't need to be comforted. Blessed are the influencers who are always killing it. They won't need to be comforted either. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for acceptance, for they shall find their tribe online. My wife wrote that one. That was good. Blessed are the ones who show no mercy, for those people are just haters anyway. Blessed are the curated, you know, perfectly selected photos, for in not truly being known, they can never be hurt. Blessed are those who cancel others, 
For it is only in this that true peace will be achieved. And blessed are you when you are admired and when everyone likes your posts, for the kingdom of pop culture is yours. Now listen, I can tell by some of the looks on some of your face, like some of you are thinking like, okay, I'll buy it. Like what is an Instagram? Okay, so <laughs> there's, a, there's a generational divide opening up in front of us. Uh, what was the, there was, there's, there's a version of this in every generation. So I didn't have Instagram when I was growing up, but we did have like what, MTV Cribs? Where's, where's my elder millennials at, right? Like the MTV Cribs, right? You know, the, the, they take you into like celebrities' houses and show you everything that's nice. Or for those of you who are even a little bit older than that, what was that show back in the 80s? The Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous? What was that, what was that cat's name that did that? Uh, Robin, Robin Leach. Welcome to coveting with Robin Leach. Here we go. Like everywhere you go, every advertisement you have ever watched on TV whether it's political or pop culture, whether it's uh, TikTok or talk radio, everywhere you go, someone is promising you a picture of the good life. And what Jesus does is he shows up and he says, I'm offering you a good life that is virtually opposite of everything in human culture. Jesus is offering us something that is inside out and upside down. Jen Wilkin, who's a a Bible teacher and an author, she wrote this. She said, Jesus turned his disciples' expectations for what it meant to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven upside down. Rather than kings and conquerors, citizens of the kingdom should expect to be aliens and strangers. Rather than pursue a political agenda, citizens should expect to pursue a spiritual one. Rather than a kingdom established through the conquest of its rulers, citizens should expect a kingdom established through the character of its servants. When we answer the call to discipleship, we enter into a kingdom that turns human expectations of blessedness upside down. Friends, there are a lot of versions of Christianity out there that will use Jesus and use the Bible and use spiritual-sounding language to offer you the kingdoms of man. Look at the text. Look at what Jesus said. Pay attention to him. His kingdom is going to be a challenging one because it is different than what the blessed life uh, that is offered to us by our society. It's always been this way. Nothing new under the sun. And the way that you get in on this blessed life is different as well. How do you you get in on this blessed life? Point number two, the, the way that we enter into it is actually found in the first three of these blessings. He says this, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And blessed are the humble, or some of your translations again say meek, for they will inherit the earth. Let's look at these first three. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Have any of you ever been poor in finances? Show of hands. You ever experienced a a moment where just like money was tight? I don't know how we're going to pay this bill. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means that you do not have sufficient resources to pay your spiritual bill. 
That each and every single one of us, through our choices of will, through our sinful actions, has racked up a debt against an eternal and almighty God. You think it's bad to get a credit card or a hospital bill in the mail. We all stand before God impoverished and penniless to pay back the great debt that we owe. And so when we come to that realization, what do we do? We mourn, we weep, we cry. What do I do? How do I pay this off? What, what is my only hope? I'm brokenhearted about it. And then the only hope that we have is to humble ourselves, to lower ourselves, and to ask for help. I remember early in our marriage, my wife and I, um, I'm more of a spender and she's more of a saver. Uh, how many of you in your, for those of you who are married, you have something like that in your relational dynamic? Praise God. You get two, two spenders together in a marriage? Woo! <laughs> you get two savers in a marriage? Boring, right? Like you got, the, the trick is the balance, right? But early in our marriage, we were, we were very young. We got married very young and, and, and we had just made some dumb young married people decisions and had racked up a credit card bill. And I just remember like looking at that and being like, oh no, like, what do we do? There was, there was tears that were shed. I think of the parable of the prodigal son who goes out and he, he lives in such a way as to squander the resources of his father. And he, he says, I, I, he comes to his senses and he's like, I'm, I'm eating pig food. What am I doing? And then he goes, I know. I'll humble myself and I'll go ask my father for some help. Maybe he'll take me back as a servant. Friends, the way that we enter into the kingdom that Jesus is offering us is to recognize that we are poor and we weep over it and we humble ourselves and we ask for mercy and help. A thousand years before Jesus preached this sermon, one of his ancestors, King David, had messed up big time. He lusted after Bathsheba. He took advantage of her. He assaulted her. And then he murdered her husband to cover up his sin. God sent a prophet named Nathan to come and just tell him a story like, what have you done? And David was broken, devastated. And he wrote a psalm. It's number 51 in our Bibles. And in this psalm, he, he recognizes what God really wants. He says, God, you don't want a sacrifice or else I would give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. The, the sacrifice, the thing you really want is this broken spirit. Lord, you will not despise a broken and a humbled heart, oh God. You can't give enough. You can't sacrifice enough. You can't do enough. It all has to start with that heart a thousand years or so later, many centuries later, David's great-great-great-great-great-grandson, Jesus, comes onto the scene and fulfills this prayer. In Matthew 9, he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus says, in fact, you could not sacrifice enough 
So I will sacrifice myself. Jesus, the perfect, spotless lamb, the one whose blood is of infinite worth, laid down his life on our behalf. His body was broken. His blood was shed. He went into the tomb. And on the third day, he rose again alive and victorious. And he says, come to me with a humble heart because I desire mercy. This is our Savior, and this is the good news of the gospel, friends. This is the same way that David gets in on this kingdom, that Jesus offered it. It's the same way that we live it. We have to come poor in spirit, mourning, and humble. Boy, those virtues are not delighted in in our culture, are they? There's a lot of stuff about, you know, champions for Jesus and... There's even stuff in the, in the Bible about, you know, competing, you know, like an athlete or, or, you know, more than conquerors, all that kind of stuff. And it's all true. But the starting point is this broken heart and a contrite spirit. And if you're here today and you don't yet know Jesus and you're looking for some version of the good life, the promises of the good life that are made by our culture are empty. The whole world offers us promises of the good life. And it usually comes through self-fulfillment, self-actualization, some sort of version of pick yourself up by your bootstraps and make a better life for yourself. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you all the riches of the treasures of heaven if you will but humble yourself and come to me. Number three, the character of this blessed life. What does it look like when somebody really truly enters into this blessed life? And there's, there's four things that Jesus says are going to start to happen. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those words, hunger and thirst, they, they talk about desire. What is it that your desires are for? Everyone desires something. We all desire things. Actually, it's interesting the, 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 how many of the hashtag blessed were about food or romance or possessions. We all are hungry. We all are thirsty for something. Actually, it's funny that even now in, in modern day slang, thirsty is like desirous of a romantic partner. If you didn't know that that was slang, again, I'm trying to sound younger than I am. But, but this, this idea of our hearts are this relentless, our hearts are restless. We all want something. We all desire something. And, and Jesus is saying, when you get in on this blessed life I'm offering, your heart starts to desire righteousness. Your heart starts to desire, I want to live a different way. I want my life to line up with God's actions. I want to not give in to all of my desires. I want to hunger and thirst for his righteousness, for his justice. That's what starts to happen. That's what starts to grow in us. So as we enter in with this humble heart, he births in us a desire for the things that please him. That's a really good thing to pray, by the way. Lord, help me desire the things that you desire. Help me to love the things that you love. Help me to despise the things that you despise. Help my priorities to line up with your priorities. If we get in on this, the, the blessed people, they're gonna, they're gonna desire godliness and righteousness. Number two, they're going to become a merciful person. Now, mercy and forgiveness, this idea of mercy just means you deserve consequences, punishment, whatever, and you're not going to get it. Mercy, forgiveness. We are living through a very interesting cultural moment right now where, by and large, in Western society, in the United States of America, we have kind of gotten rid of the idea of forgiveness. 
There's an article, I've linked to it actually up on our church's website. It's by Tim Keller, and it's called The Fading of Forgiveness. And in this article, he talks about how a lot of the um, kind of the, the movements towards social justice in our culture right now, uh, which are, are largely good things to get rid of racism, to get rid of uh, sexual abuse and the Me Too movement, all these things that are these, these good things that we as, as citizens of the kingdom would agree with, but it's coming with this reaction where we don't want to offer mercy or forgiveness anymore because mercy and forgiveness have sometimes been used as a way to excuse bad behavior and to not hold people accountable. I actually experienced this a number of years back in a, a church, leadership, church leadership situation in which one of the leaders did some very ungodly things and needed to be held accountable and needed to be uh, removed from ministry. And people in the church came and said, well, we're all about grace, we're all about mercy, we're all about forgiveness. And, and it was a, a clash between mercy and, and holding accountable. And, and I would say that maybe in our society we have been, we've, we've misused mercy to not hold people accountable at times when they need to. But I don't think that the solution is just to throw out mercy. And by the way, it's not just like, you know, Bible-believing Christians or whatever who are, who are getting canceled. You know that term, cancel culture? Gonna, you did something wrong, we're going to just cancel you. It means like, we're just done with you. You don't get to have forgiveness. It's not just Bible-believing Christians. I stumbled across an article this week because I was on Instagram, doggone it, uh, about the actress um, Ellie Kemper. She was in The Office, and she was in a show called uh, uh, Kimmy Schmidt. What was it? The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. She's like one of the happiest, smilingest people you've ever seen. She's been canceled this last week because of a pageant that she participated in that had ties to something in the South having to do with Confederates. It's all a very big mystery to me. I don't understand it all. So she's canceled. And she had to write this big, long, I'm so sorry. And people are like, well, we'll see. We'll maybe forgive you. John Cena, the wrestler, he's been canceled, almost canceled, but he got out in front of it. He said something about China or something. I don't know. I didn't have time for it. I was too busy hashtag blessing my food. Uh, Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist, has been canceled recently. And uh, J.K. Rowling has been canceled in the last year. Do you know her? She wrote a book about some magicians or something. I don't know. We're living in this interesting cultural moment where we're saying, hey, people need to be held accountable, which is true. You don't think Jesus believes in accountable, accountability? Read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. He's got some stuff to say about millstones and necks and things. But Jesus also says, the people of my kingdom, they're going to have this type of heart that delights in showing mercy. It's a tough tension to live in. Accountability, consequences for actions. But Jesus says the starting point is his heart that delights in forgiveness. Someone lives in this kingdom, they get in on this blessed life, they, they hunger and thirst for righteousness, they become a merciful person, they start to have a purity of heart. They really live with this purity of heart. Um, in James chapter 3, I give you a little bit of homework this week. There's a parallel passage in James chapter 3 that really lines up a lot with these Beatitudes. And, and you can see the overlap. And in James chapter 3, he uses the word sincerity or without pretense. Maybe you know somebody who's like this, but when you, just, when you find somebody who's just a sincere person, isn't that just delightful to be around? I have a friend, his name is Rusty. He's a pastor in Tennessee. 
And he is someone who is just a sincere person. You spend some time with him, and it's like, my goodness, I just, I want to be like him. Because you're just, there's no fluff. There's no phoniness. There's no baloney there. In fact, I hope that, get, I'll get to bring him up here this fall to preach um, uh, during my, my time off this fall. If you didn't know, I'm going to be taking a, a sabbatical later this fall. And he's going to be kind of my sabbatical coach, use that terminology. I'm like, I want to be like Rusty when I grow up. I don't like being fake, and you don't like being around people who are fake. And Jesus is saying, no, you're going to have this purity of heart, sincerity, authenticity, just a real, genuine human being. That's what it means to live this good life. And then lastly, people who are living in the blessed life, they're going to be ready for opposition. They're going to be able to handle it. So Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. You know what a peacemaker does? A peacemaker steps into situations where there is no peace and helps bring peace. How many of you love to get in the middle of other people's fights? Not fun, is it? Uh, it's my... Reagan, plug your ears for a second. So yesterday, my wife was gone, and... Uh, she, she left and she went shopping with one of our teenagers and the other teenager was at work. And so I was home with just the younger two kids. Reagan, close your ears. So I was home with the younger two kids and they fought like a bunch, okay? They, I know, I'm sorry, honey. They just kept getting into it and I kept having to step in over and over. No, hey, I, had to, I was thinking about this verse, like I don't feel very hashtag blessed right now trying to play peacemaker in between the two kids that are fighting. Now in our society, People are fighting in your workplace, in your families. People are fighting. And Jesus said, you're going to be blessed when you step in and help bring God's peace into those situations. But Jesus actually takes it a step further. He says, blessed are you when you are persecuted, when you're lied about, when you are made fun of and insulted. That's the good life, Jesus says. There's a poet, Ralph Waldo Emerson has a famous quote, says, let me never fall into the vulgar mistake of dreaming that I am persecuted whenever I am contradicted. Friends, there's, a, there's something in American Christianity, uh, I'll call it the martyr complex. Anytime anything happens that somebody on the news says something mean about Christians or any, oh, and, and there's kind of this like freaking out that happens. How could they? How could they say that? How could they do this thing? How could they pass this law? Friends, look at the text. What did Jesus tell us to expect? What did Jesus tell us to expect? Everything from outright persecution to mockery. Now, we are pretty fortunate that we're on the more mockery side of the scale because we have Christian brothers and sisters who gathered today for worship and if they were found out, they could be arrested or executed. So somebody said something mean about us on social media. Okay, we can deal with this. We can handle this. We are people who follow a savior who went to a cross, was executed while people mocked him and spit on him. Jesus went first. Jesus went farthest. We can follow him. We're going to be okay. This is what it looks like 
when people get in on this blessed life. They, they want their lives to line up with God's way. They want to live like Jesus. They want to show mercy to others. They're, they're sincere. They're, they're pure in their heart. And they're, they're okay with opposition. They're ready for it without whining or complaining or a martyr complex. Which leads me to the last point, which is the only way that any of this makes sense is if the promises of this blessed life are true. I want to do this. Actually, I'm going to hold off on the slides for a minute here. Would you do me a favor? Would you just close your your eyes for a moment? I'm going to read these Beatitudes again, and I want you to listen to the second half of all these phrases. Listen to what we receive. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven, once again, is theirs. Think about all these things that we desire. You're going to be part of of a new kingdom, friends. How many of you long to live in a country, a nation, a kingdom that like things were good, right? Anybody? Guess what? We have that and more. You'll be part of his kingdom. You will experience his comfort and care, friends. That God himself, the, the Savior Jesus who wept over Jerusalem comes alongside with his love and mercy and care. And, and how many of you want an inheritance? Well, guess what? You'll be put in charge of the whole earth. You'll have authority to rule and to reign. You'll be filled and satisfied. There'll be satisfaction in him. You will be treated with mercy and kindness because of our God. You'll have not only just direct access to God, but you'll be adopted in as a child of God. This is some good stuff. This isn't just an invitation to serve in the cabinet of the president. This is an invitation to be a child of the president. And I love how Tim Keller puts it. There's only one person who wakes up the president at three in the morning and asks for a cup of water, and that's the president's kid. And that's the kind of access we have to God. You're being offered a vision of the good life all the time. But this good life that Jesus offers us will never pass away. I want to close with a couple of quick points here. And things I just want you to think about as we not only wrap up this section, but as we head into the whole entire rest of the Sermon on the Mount. First one is this. Just, I want you to remember that the blessings come before the demands or the obligations. Listen, in the Sermon on the Mount, there's a lot of obligations. There's a lot of expectations. There's a lot of do this and don't do that. But the blessing comes first. Just like God first brought his people out of slavery in Egypt and then gave them the Ten Commandments, so also he, Jesus, lays down his life to die, to rise again, to offer us salvation before he then asks us to do anything. There's a really important order of operations here. 
The blessing comes first. God's mercy and grace always come first before he ever asks anything of us. Amen? Number two, this blessed life is not dependent on our circumstances. If you have an Instagram hashtag blessed life and you're out on a date with your sweetie, what happens if they break up with you? Are you no longer hashtag blessed? You have that wonderful meal and then it goes away. And then it adds to your waistline and you're not feeling so good about your hashtag blessed fitness model photos on Instagram. You have money. You have your health. All of those things can be here today and gone tomorrow, but the blessed life that Jesus offers us is eternal and it is not dependent upon our circumstances. The Apostle Paul writes, uh, I believe it's in 1 Corinthians, like, I know what it's like to have a lot. I know what it's like to have a little. And I've learned the secret of contentment in all things. Number three, this blessed life that Jesus offers us requires our full participation. There's no dipping your toes in the water with Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount, as we go through it, I mean, it's, it is going to continually just bring a fork in the road, a fork in the road, a point of, of decision. You can't just have Jesus be one of the you know, tools in your tool belt that you use sometimes when you're having a bad day. Jesus says, I want all of you. Your heart, your mind, your soul, your relationships, your finances, your sexuality, your entertainment, your, your eating, your drinking, your sleeping, your waking, your rising. I want all of you. And that's the only way that this blessed life works. You're about to leave here in a little while and go out into a world that is constantly offering you a version of the good life. Every TV commercial, every Instagram post, every magazine that you see, billboards on the side of the road, it's all offering you the good life. Jesus says, come to me. Blessed are those who come to me with a humble, poor, and broken spirit, and I will build you into something and into someone that won't be rocked by the ups and downs of this world. But it requires us dying to ourselves. Every day, wake up in the morning, all right, Jesus, I'm pushing all my chips to the center of the table again on Team Jesus. As you go about your day, oh, I did it again, God. I, I wanted the good life that, the, that this world offers me. I repent I weep, I mourn, I'm poor in spirit, I come in humility, forgive me again. And God is a merciful God and he, he never has turned down that heart, not once. And as we get prepared to go to the Lord's table and to eat and to drink of the bread and the cup and be reminded of his grace and mercy, let's come with that heart that is full of brokenness and humility and full of joy and assurance knowing that Jesus loves us in that way. God, we pray right now that you would prepare our hearts to receive. Pray right now that you would give us uh, the grace needed to mourn over our sins. But Lord, that you would assure us of your grace and your mercy for us. Lord, we, want, we are thankful that you've invited us into this, the good life, the blessed life. Help us to really believe you when you say that this blessed life is what is for us, that you have for us. 
We give you this time now in Jesus' name. Amen.